0: Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look, I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're gonna be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they wanna celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to work hard, hard fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you and remember excuses are over it's time to live
1: the freedom i'm certainly enjoying it right now of living in a free world when you can say whatever you want and uh, nobody's going to arrest you for that that's much better Having very strong social connections, so having friends, a romantic partner, being involved in your community can lower your mortality risk by 65%. Having a purpose in life is as important as would be eating the perfect healthy Mediterranean diet. Different times and tough times actually often inspire people to change for the better. I think it's actually a very good time now to give a closer look to the
0: way we are living. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. Today on the show, we have Marta Zoraska, who is the author of the new book, Growing Young. So I learned about Marta from Dan Buettner, who wrote a book called The Blue Zones, which is a book on the areas of the world where people live the longest. And those places are places like Icaria in Greece and Sardinia in Italy. Marta's book took on a slightly different approach to longevity. She decided to look into what she calls soft targets of health instead of hard targets of health. So for clarity, a hard target would be diet and exercise. And we all know that we need to hit those hard targets to stay healthy. But what I didn't know is how much of an impact soft targets can have on our health. So what are soft targets? Soft targets are things like, for example, people who are pessimistic and mistrustful, are more likely to develop coronary heart disease, where people who are optimistic have an 11 to 15% longer lifespan than their counterparts. So soft targets are all of those intangible things like being married versus living alone that actually improve longevity that you hear about. And she's convinced me to, to look into these areas equally as much as I look into the hard targets that I'm looking into. So. This is a fascinating interview. It's a completely different approach to longevity, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it. So please enjoy this wide ranging conversation with Marta Zoraska. Marta, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: You are so welcome. You know, as an American, I want to put an H after that R in your name, but it is Marta, is that right?
1: That's right, I was born in Poland.
0: All right, we're gonna get into all of that and I am so excited to have you here today because when Dan Buettner, author of The Blue Zone and Sean Anker, author of The Happiness Advantage recommend your work, well then I pay attention. So thank you for being on the show today.
1: Awesome, thanks so much.
0: So here's what I'd like to do. We're going to get into how to grow young in a little bit, but first I want to take you back to what we just started talking about, which is communist Poland. (laughs) Would you set the scene for us and maybe explain what growing up there was like at that time in Poland's history?
1: Well, it was certainly very different to how my daughter is growing up in France, uh, where we live now. And, um, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, first of all, you know, it's um, as I write in my first book, I kind of used the stories there a little bit. Uh, the, the book was called Meat Hooked, and it was about the history and science of humans, human obsession with meat. And I cite some stories there from my childhood, for example, one that um, meat was very hard to get when i was growing up and uh, i used to stand for hours and literally hours like three four hours at a time uh in lines to grocery stores with my mother to buy meat and very often when you arrive at the checkout counter there was nothing left so uh so that was definitely something that i remember very well especially that for a, you know for a small child that was extremely boring uh, and generally lines were a very big part of our line life life lines for everything you know for food for furniture for shoes and everybody had basically the same stuff. So you know if you had certain five toys at home, all the kids you knew had the same five toys and so. Uh, but it's, in a way you know it was nice growing up as well for children because there was not much jealousy or um, you know just craving things you couldn't get. The, you, you got what you got and it was it. And so we didn't watch much TV. there was only 15 minutes per day of children programming and um, yeah so we spent a lot of times outdoors and for a child it was pretty fun.
0: Is there a part of you that sees that time in your life, not when it changed uh, after communism, but is there is there a part of you that sees that time as nostalgic because things are so radically different in the world than they were then? Or do you look back at that time and say, I'm I'm glad that's over?
1: I mean both. First of all, you know, being right now in two thousand twenty, every year before that seems nostalgic. You know, as a good isn't good old
0: that, isn't that the <laughs> truth? Yeah,
1: you think you know two thousand seventeen, good old times, right? So right. Uh, yeah, so certainly there is nostalgia, but I think we are all nostalgic as well for, you know, for the past. You know, you ask basically any adult uh, after, uh, over a certain age and they will say, you know, that ah, when I was growing up, it was so much better. And um, But certainly there were also things that I definitely do not miss. My my dad was engaged in the anti-communist movement quite, uh, quite a lot and our house was under constant surveillance um, by uh, special agents. And um, so that was that was not much fun. And um, so there are, you know, the freedom, I'm certainly enjoying it right now of living in a free world when you can say whatever you want and uh, nobody's going to arrest you for that. That's much better.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, we are a product of our youth and we're a product of our experiences. So I always like to ask these background questions because it always fascinates me how people do the kind of work that they do and what, you know, what leads them to that. There's usually things that lead them. So speaking of, you decided to go to law school in Poland, but somehow along the way, you got bit by the journalism bug. I was written
1: much earlier than that. I, I knew since I was five years old, I was going to be a writer. So
0: oh, that's <laughs> interesting. law school
1: was an operation, I would say.
0: So do you see yourself, I think you just answered it but do you see yourself as a lawyer or a journalist
1: oh, definitely as a journalist i've never practiced law but um but the truth is that uh that you know i used to think also sometimes that maybe you know it's kind of i shouldn't have done law it was a waste of time i've never practiced i've been a journalist for over 20 years now and uh and but on the other hand now i actually started appreciating the fact that i went to law school because when you think about it uh Law school can prepare you very well for being a journalist, uh, especially science journalists, I believe, because what lawyers do is they always look for holes in an argument. You always look for things that don't add up. You always look for counter arguments. So this is something I think a science journalist should be really good at for looking, you know, questioning everything, for seeing things from different perspectives, right? I had classes in law school where basically I had to argue an argument from one side and then I had to completely switch and argue uh, for the other side. So, you know, and I think that this is something that really helped me in my science journalism being this, you know, kind of, uh, uh, always doubting and looking for sources and for evidence. And um, and I think that that is something that surprisingly for me actually proves very helpful.
0: No, it's it's, it's interesting because your interests, you know, they went from, from, from law school to, uh, well, you started with journalism, but then you wound up getting a degree in law. But you also have an interest in places like Africa, uh, in places like the Congo. What do you attribute that too. Like what, like I've never personally had a desire to go to the Congo. I just, it's never been on my list. It's been the South of France. It's been, uh, you know, Mykonos in Greece, but not the Congo. (laughs) So what is it about the Congo for you or, or even Africa that you found so interesting?
1: I mean, it's also part of my journalism. I started as a as a foreign affairs journalist, um, and I worked for the Polish main Polish uh, daily newspaper, uh, and. Um, And definitely, you know, this kind of journalism bug and also being a foreign affairs journalist specializing in in African affairs, uh, I was bitten by that bug because I read books uh, by an amazing Polish um, reporter called Ryszard Kapuściński. His books were also translated to English. I think most of them. He's absolutely amazing. And he reported uh, on... The transformation that African continent went on, uh, went over in the 60s and the 50s and 60s when the war the wars of for independence were taking place. And he's just such an amazing writer, and uh, his stories were so fascinating. I just fell in love with the idea of traveling, and um, and the moment I started, I just couldn't you know stop. And I it, I just find it fascinating discovering different cultures. And so so I used to be kind of doing a similar type of writing, reporting from this kind of sometimes quite dangerous places. and uh, But I also was writing more on the social side, sometimes about environmental issues and social issues. Uh, so this is not that far from science that I'm doing right now because I'm still writing, you know, about nutrition. And I was re- writing about undernutrition before. And I am writing about proper nutrition now. I was writing about water issues and water shortages and, um, and environmental problems. I'm writing about climate change these days. So even though I don't travel anymore um, to very dangerous places, Mostly because I started family and I don't uh, find it sustainable anymore. Uh, then I still, I'm still doing something that's very much connected.
0: Okay, as we uh, as we move on into the concepts and points in your book, some of this is going to reveal itself in a moment. But I want to set the stage here. A lot of times, people are afraid of change. You know, we get stuck. And, you know, we're habitual in what we do. We stay in one career, we live in one location and they're afraid of change. But you seem to have very little issue um, with change. Um, you've changed where you live. You started in Poland, you moved to Canada. Uh, there was, now there were
1: six countries on the, on the way. So.
0: And there were six countries mm-hmm. along the way and now you're in a village in France. Um, yes. So I I, I want to talk about, I think people give a lot, of, a lot of thought to what they want to do with their life, perhaps, or maybe more thought, but they don't really give much thought to where they're going to do what they want to do. And you chose to live in a small village in France. What was it about France or a small village or making this lifestyle change that most appealed to you?
1: I just love the lifestyle, you know, it's uh, my, the village where I am, it kind of hasn't really changed since 16th century. (laughs) I've seen some old uh, drawings of the village and it looks basically the same. And, uh, and the community is just also amazing. I think this is also what inspired me a little bit to write Growing Young because seeing this kind of community and how people are closely knit here and how it makes them happy and, uh, and uh, really makes life, so much better. I really appreciate it and uh, and it inspired me also to to write about this kind of things like social connections and the power of community and and uh, the involvement of in community and even kindness, everyday kindness I see here. these things were very inspiring.
0: okay. I want to talk about growing young. for most people when they think of those two words growing and young and you put them together, it- it conjures up images of diet and exercise or certainly in North America anyway, but your findings show that you can also get there in other ways. Can you expand on that and maybe even talk about why, why you wanted to do this?
1: I mean, so first first of all, you know, the, I never want, I never say that diet and exercise are not important because they always are important and eating healthy and exercising are important for your health and for your longevity. But what I am saying is that, first of all, there are many things that we obsessed far too much about that either don't matter at all for our health and longevity or can even be detrimental. So for example, things like some miracle foods or fat diets, supplements, uh, exercise gadgets, you know, uh, some fancy new discovered exercise routines that you just must do because this is the exactly the thing you should be doing right now. Organic foods, you know, like some kind of miracle herbs, matcha, goji berries and all this kind of stuff. We put too much effort in things like this. And, they actually at best don't matter at all. The diet and then exercise I'm talking about that are actually healthy for you and important are actually very simple. So uh, what I like to say is um, just like Michael Pollan said, you know, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. And that's basically it. You know, it doesn't have to be some fancy organic heritage broccoli or kale even. Uh, it can just be your regular carrots and cabbage and the apples. And it's perfectly fine. So this is one thing. But also another thing that I um, discovered over years of my research was that there are things that matter even more than even that simple good diet and exercise. Uh, so there was one particularly revealing meta-analysis of studies I've read uh, when I was writing, writing Growing Young. And meta-analysis when they, is when they put... This is kind of this golden standard of research. This is where scientists put a lot of studies together and look for overall emerging patterns, right? So the scientists doing this particular meta- meta-analysis, they they showed that whereas diet and exercise can lower your mortality risk anywhere between 20 and 30%, which is quite a lot, you know, this is something, really. Having very strong social connections, so having friends, a romantic partner, being involved in your community can lower your mortality risk by 65%. So, you know, so there you had 20 to 30, and here you have 65%. This is even more than giving up smoking if you smoke two packets of cigarettes per day. So this is there are enormous effects. And of course, I'm never saying don't stop smoking. You know, it's best to not smoke, eat healthy, and have a have strong social connections. And other things I describe in growing young have similarly large effects. For example, volunteering, Uh, it can lower your mortality rates by 44%, right? Having a purpose in life is as important as would be eating the perfect, healthy Mediterranean diet. Uh, So, and these are things that we tend to completely overlook in our, you know, in our struggle to find the best, fat diet of the day or the best supplements we should be swallowing and pills and downloading up gadgets, uh, sorry, uh, apps and uh, for exercise and buying some kind of fitness gadgets.
0: You know, you, you just hijacked my brain and I just went on that ride with you because I'm, I'm flashing forward some of the knowledge that I've learned from Dan Butner, who, as you know, is a, a big fan of your work. In fact, he's, uh, He's posting about your book on his Instagram feed. Um, He loves it. Okay, I haven't noticed. I have to. Oh, you didn't (laughs) didn't know that?
1: No, I don't go too much to Instagram, so I'll I'll have to go and check. Well, he's well,
0: he's he's got a uh, he's got a big picture. I can't believe you don't know this. He's got a big picture of you on his Instagram, um, holding holding your book, and um, he is here. We go.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen that. (laughs) Cool.
0: (laughs) That is really, really cool. That's a great endorsement. And, you know, he is always talking, as you know, about places like um, Icaria um, and Sardinia. And, you know, there are some things that that are quite contrary to what we believe as... Uh, I'm gonna say as Americans, or I'm sure a lot of industrialized nations feel this way, where we look at, you know, smoking and drinking wine and, you know, things like that. But you go on to some of these blue zones where they're living into their hundreds, and you know, the the Italian man in Sardinia is having, you know, wine at lunch and he's having wine at dinner, and another guy's, you know, smoking and but, like but the there <laughs> is it's just like yeah there you go like the French right and you know they're they're certainly eating high fat and they're smoking and but but there are other things which are all those things that you're talking about like like you uh, you wrote in your book about you know people with pessimism and mistrust are more likely to develop coronary heart disease well we don't want to think about that we want to think about the cigarettes doing it or the butter doing it or you know the lack of exercise doing it but you're saying hey look you know people who are optimistic um, have an 11 to 15 percent longer lifespan than those counterparts and i think that's fascinating you know to put that together so how are you doing that in your life? In other words, how are you approaching your life differently because of that? And do you think if you moved back to America or Canada, do you think that you would be able to approach these areas outside of diet and exercise? And I I get you're not saying diet and exercise is not important. You're just saying, don't don't disregard those other areas either. Um, But do you think if you move back to You know, an environment that doesn't really support the kind of situation where, you know, somebody can be, you know, stuck in the street and everybody patiently waiting while they're chit chatting with the neighbor about, you know, the the latest tomato that they grew in their garden, you know, do you feel like you'd be able to support that uh, in another location?
1: I mean, I think it's possible to create, recreate this kind of life. You know, definitely, you know, I, I when I lived in Canada, I lived in Calgary, which is a very suburbanized city. And I did li- live in really in the outer suburbs and I wouldn't do that again. So uh, even though it was a beautiful place and we backed our house back on the, on the park where you could see wolves in the winter and, you know, lots of wildlife and it's absolutely magnificently beautiful. But I wouldn't do it again because there was no community there. Uh, and, so uh, if I were to move back, I would move to somewhere inner city and, uh, where I, in one of those neighborhoods where you can walk around, right? Where you can, uh, walk to your corner store and meet your neighbors there. Right. And there is some kind of small local park where people meet. And there are places like this in, in America as well, you know, and especially now there is a lot of movement also for new urbanism, right? For for placemaking, that's how it's called. For making, you know, cities live and uh having some kind of uh urban gardening projects or um throwing neighborhood parties. And people are starting to do that as well, you know. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure it's possible to do it. It's just, you just have to realize that it's not only for, I don't know, pleasure or some kind of uh, making the place better, but it's also for your health. It's it's as important for your health to have this kind of community placemaking initiatives as is your diet and exercise. So I think if we kind of sh- sh- seen it from this perspective, maybe people would be more willing to do those things instead of, you know, going alone into the gym and, you know, Posting on their little app how how many um, kilometers they run or how many push-ups they've done. You know, instead they would maybe engage more in in this kind of community things.
0: Yeah, you know, COVID has um, has caused us to reevaluate a lot of things in our life. And I have a friend that does um, Italian um, citizenship, and he he can't take any more clients right now because so many people are applying for citizenship to move to mm-hmm. Italy. And I'm sure that that's the case in France. And I'm sure, it, you know, so so people are leaving because of uh, unrest that's happening, particularly, you know, in our country, there's a lot of racial inequality um, that we're dealing with, et cetera. So, you know, do you think that we are, you know, sort of in a bell curve now where we have become so dependent On technology, and we've become, you know, to just to put it bluntly, we've become ruder, we've become more isolated, we've become more separate. That these principles that you're talking about, like, you know, building a strong support network of family and friends, and how that lowers uh, mortality risk by, you know, as much as 45 percent, where, you know, exercise can lower it by 23 percent right there's a there's a tremendous difference do you do you find that because of where we are today in the world that there's even more of a need for us to figure out how to do this
1: that's I'm uh, certain of it and you know in a way I think that the current situation can act as a little bit of a tipping point right when we actually realize how much we need this contact in person, you know, f- for how many people suddenly working online and only having those Zoom meetings all the time made them realize how actually much they appreciate the contact in person with the, with their co-workers, you know, how much they actually like uh, the chats around the coffee machine or the water cooler, right? And uh, maybe even the meetings They I, I heard people saying they I miss meetings, you know, when before people generally said they hate meetings, you know, the same thing happened for my daughter's uh, school. So, you know, as kids do, she generally likes school, but uh, she wasn't the, always very excited to go in the morning, but after oh. the lockdown and after not going to school for, I think it was a month and a half, which wasn't very long compared to what children have in other countries, but still after that's um, few weeks of not going to school, she and all her friends were so excited to be back. And the, I can still see the effects now, even though it's been a while they've been back, but she certainly really started loving school. You know, she 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 loves the teacher. She loves sitting at the desk. She loves, uh, you know, going there. And something that I really see got much stronger than before. And, and I guess, I hope at least, that for many people there can be similar effects on connection, right? It's feeling how... Um, being forced to isolate, maybe we'll appreciate even more how those things are actually important because it's easy to forget when we're rushing in this kind of normal, you know, pre-COVID times where you're just always busy with something. We might have missed the importance. And i just read a statistic today. It was done in Ireland, but I think it probably applies to other countries in the West as well. So what they, the statistic found that uh, in one survey that 57% of people said they are now really re-evaluating their lives like they didn't do before. So, you know, this is kind of reassuring that people are taking more time to think how they want to live, you know, how maybe they want to change their lives. And so it can be a time of um, reflection, I guess.
0: So I guess then the question is, how has writing this book changed your own life?
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, it definitely has. So first of all, making me realize, you know, how important those things are, like, you know, social connections, kindness, volunteering, community involvement, practicing optimism, conscientiousness, uh, how important those things are for health. And, you know, I knew that those things are important before, but I didn't think they were important for health. I thought they were, you know, just important because, you know, it's better to be optimistic, right? Or, uh, yeah, it's nice to be kind, but I never thought of them as actual health behaviors. And um, for example, in the past, I, I, I'm a runner, so I run, I like running and I run for exercise and uh, I sometimes run half marathons. It didn't happen that many times, but it did. And I was planning to run another half marathon this year before the coronavirus stroke. And um, and then I actually realized that if I, if I did prepare for this half marathon, it would take so much time away from my family that I wouldn't have really time to sit on the couch with my husband and chat after work. And in the past... You know, I would think giving up on this half marathon and uh, choosing to sit on the couch with my husband, it would make me feel guilty, right? Because I would feel that I'm somehow failing on my health, self care, or about my yep. on my health yep. goals. Uh, yep. Sitting here on the couch and having a glass of wine, and um, but now I actually know that. I shouldn't be guilty at all or feeling guilty at all because actually sitting on the couch with my husband is probably more important to my health than the extra miles I would have run because I'm still running, just shorter distances. And so, uh, you know, maybe not every day, maybe four times a week, but I just have more time. And, you know, I see, I have friends who have, for example chosen to do things like Iron Man. And there's nothing wrong with Iron Man, of course. But I have a friend, for example, who stopped seeing his friends because he's doing Iron Mans, and he's so much engaged in it that he gave up on his friendships. And f- his friends are complaining. And obviously, you know, this is not good for his health. So if he did a little bit less exercise and instead hang, you know, hang out more with his friends, he would be better off. And um And other things as well. For example, you know, we talked about children and uh, my daughter has uh, an issue with keeping her room clean. And I see it now as a health hazard and not only because of the Legos that you can step on, but also because uh, conscientiousness. So this kind of... um, tendency to be on time for meetings to keep your desk clean or your room clean to pay bills on time is actually one of the biggest predictors of health uh to the point that one researchers researcher i talked with he actually said that if you could put conscientiousness in a pill it would be the most powerful drug ever invented uh like medication kind of you know uh and um so, so you, now I see you know, that I should be teaching her to keep her room clean and generally be conscientious. And this is as important for her health as me cooking her healthy dinners and making sure that she has, she's walking enough and having enough exercise. Um, whereas before, I, I, you know, I didn't see it that way.
0: It's interesting. A lot of the things that you're talking about here, um, hearing as balance. One of the things that's interesting to me about the French is they drink wine but they don't get drunk, you know. They're not. Uh, you you don't see them, you know, necessarily doing shots on the bar, you know, all night long. They're having an amazing glass of wine. Um, they eat and they eat high fat food, but not a lot of it. They have a bite here and a bite there,
1: and they always and, eat with other people.
0: <laughs> and they always eat with other people. And they work, but not too much you know, they take time to make sure that they have the other areas of their life. So I guess the question is how much, uh, how, how much do you think balance plays a role in life? Like I did, you you're making me think of something. I, I ran uh, two full marathons and after the second marathon, I was like, screw this. I'm never doing this again. Like that was crazy. It was way too much. And I, but I didn't realize the price that I paid of mm. like training all day when yeah, I did exactly. the long runs, mm. like being gone from my family, like all day on Saturday, because it was my long, you know, long run practice yeah. day. So how much, how much balance do you think factors into this?
1: I mean, I think it's all about balance. You know, this is exactly what I was trying to say with the title. The title is growing young and it's not about becoming, it's not the synonym for Becoming younger. I meant growing as a growing as a person, right? So that's growing as a whole, as a person, and you're you know makes you also kind of become younger or at least uh, age slower. Uh so this is kind of a play on words here. And so this is what I was trying to say, that all these things, you know, when you think about it being kind, right? Being optimistic, spending time with your friends, with your family, Uh, having a good romantic relationship, being conscientious. These are all things that we kind of all see as good things for how to be as a person, right? And which is kind of also quite satisfying when you think about it, that a person who would be very kind, optimistic, and friendly uh, would be healthier than somebody who is mean and egoistical and uh, and a loner, uh, antisocial. It kind of feels good as well. So I found at least those uh, findings quite satisfying in a way That striving to become better, to becoming growing as a person can also make our bodies healthier. It's pretty fascinating.
0: Tell me about the Rosetto effects. What is that?
1: So this is exactly something that uh, we already touched on before in a way, because um, so Rosetto is a town in Pennsylvania that got onto the radar of scientists in the fifties and sixties, not the 1950s and 1960s, because uh people were not having heart attacks in there, basically. People didn't have cardiovascular disease, and they generally lived much longer than in all surrounding areas, even though they had exactly the same water source, they worked in the same factories, they uh, they breathed the same air, shared the same hospital. And yet, compared to other towns, People were super healthy there. So, um, so Rosetta was settled by immigrants from Italy, from a town called Rosetto in Italy. Um, so, of course, the first thought would be, you know, the diet, right? But actually, bizarrely, for whatever reasons, uh, the Italians who settled rosetto uh, completely abandoned their diet and uh, ate actually pretty badly. So they ate a lot of fat, sausages, lots of sugar, they drank a lot, they smoked. Uh, So their diet was really pretty bad. Um, And so it was not a diet. So the next suspect were the genes, right? Maybe it was something that they inherited, their Italian genes made them live so long. But when scientists controlled for that, when they checked their genetics of the people there, there was also nothing there. There was nothing making them special and different than other communities or other people, like just nothing. So in the end, after years of research, what scientists discovered was that in Rosetto, what made people so healthy, and especially in in terms of cardiovascular health, was their community. So that was actually very special. They were extremely connected. They were constantly visiting each other. Everybody knew each other. There was just a very small town of 2,000 people. And um, they were constantly throwing parties where everybody was invited, hanging out in each other's backgrounds, hanging out in each other's kitchen all the time. Uh, they had lots of civic organizations. They volunteered. They made sure to uh, keep their town pretty. They walked everywhere. Um, So it was really, really communal. That's why the scientists called it the Rosetto effect. So the effect of this kind of communal spirit uh, of friendliness and living together and being connected uh, has on our cardiovascular health. But also what the scientists did was uh, back in the 60s, they predicted that if people in Rosetto were to give up on their ways, their health would just you know, go back to your American American average. And unfortunately, this is exactly what has happened. So the next generation wanted to pursue, you know, your American dream. So they moved to the suburbs, they built bigger houses, they they bought bigger cars. Now they had to drive because they were in the suburbs. Uh, they were long working longer hours to pay the mortgages. Uh, so they didn't have any more time to hang out with their neighbors. And the community spirit disappeared, the civic organizations disappeared and the health of people in Roseto, unfortunately right now is back to your American average. They are having as many heart attacks as everybody else. And so it's kind of a sad story, but uh, the Roseto effect- So
0: so it was the first generation- that was able to maintain the change or was able to have the change but I, yeah. their their children didn't is that right
1: i think that there were there was more than one generation that kept the habits i don't really remember when exactly the town was settled but uh, the last generation that's still had this uh, communal spirit was the generation that lived in the 50s and 60s. Already in the 70s, uh, it, start, it started going back to, you know, to, to the average, American average. And by the 90s, it was all gone.
0: Wow. You know, I saw a documentary on that many, many years ago and I forgot about it. And it's such a great reminder. So I love that. Okay. So um, as we wrap up, I'm going to do a a speed round with you. I'm going to ask you some questions that you're probably going to think are weird. So just roll (laughs) with it. All right. What would your, what would your friends say is one of your superpowers?
1: My superpowers? Oh my goodness. Uh, I don't know. Planning stuff. (laughs)
0: Okay. What keeps you up at night?
1: Uh, Usually my dog.
0: (laughs) Great answer. Do you collect anything or have you ever collected anything?
1: Uh, Guidebooks, maybe.
0: Guidebooks. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did?
1: Who? Hmm. I really have no idea. I think I'm pretty open. So I guess people ask me,
0: <laughs> don't fear to ask me any questions. <laughs> That's great. What is, and we can come back to that if it hits you. What is one thing that you want to get better at?
1: Um, what I would like to get better at French, definitely. I would love my French to be as good as my English or Polish, <laughs> but uh uh, definitely, you know, always conscientiousness, also a little bit more trying to be, uh, more optimistic and less neurotic also for the reasons of my health. And definitely coronavirus is not helping with the neurotic part. <laughs> it's so all the hypochloric so
0: we, fears. We, we've got the organization tied to the, neuro, to the neurotic behavior. So I see where this is going. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what book have you reread the most? Which one have you reread the most?
1: Re read the most. Okay, I'm not much of a book re reader. Uh, I read a lot, but I usually read book, books only once. One book that I did re read many times, uh, it was actually book, I don't even know if it's, it's really known in English, but it was um, by a Norwegian author called Knut Hamsun, and it was called Hunger. Uh, it's a novel, and I reread it many times when I was younger, but um, these days I usually tend to just read books once and move on to the next
0: interesting what is your guilty pleasure
1: my guilty pleasure other than netflix (laughs) obviously um that's that's the guilty one other pleasures you know i love uh, hanging around with my friends and husband drinking wine the french style but yeah the guilty would be probably
0: netflix netflix and have you seen zach efron special on netflix no so so look up yeah, you should, because he went to um, he did one on health and okay. happiness, and he got uh, in amazing shape for a movie and he didn't need carbs and he did training. And then he went with researchers to places like Sardinia and Icaria, and he was with people who are well into their hundreds and everything he thought about health was out the window. He, they're eating carbs, they're drinking alcohol and none of it made sense to him. And you watch his transformation in the episode. So I think you'll absolutely love that. Um, Okay, well, listen, last question I'm gonna ask you, we're gonna change things up a little bit. Um, What one question would you like to ask me?
1: What would you like to change most in your life to kind of live in a more growing young way? So how would you like to improve your health apart from diet and exercise?
0: I would say to build a deeper, a more intentional and deeper relationship with my wife and children, because it is easy there. I, I have an amazing wife and I have wonderful children and they're strong <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. And they're extraordinarily supportive. And sometimes I can take them, I can take them for granted, and not be as intentional as I should be with them because I know that they'll quote always be there and they'll always supporting mm-hmm. me. But I can do better. I can be, uh, I, I could be more romantic. I could be a better lover. I can be um, a deeper, more thoughtful father. Not that I'm you know, would grade myself horribly in any of those areas. But if I'm being picky, I can definitely do better.
1: I think most of us can do better. You know, I, I always say that if we put so much effort into our romantic relationships, into our friendships and family life, as we do into diet and, you know, looking for the, what diet should I be eating? What supplements should I be taking? What fitness app should I be downloading? And then putting all the time, you know, inputting those things, things into our apps and, uh, and looking at our exercise gadgets. If we put so much effort into our relationships as we do into those things, we would definitely be better off in terms of health. Of
0: longevity. Well, listen, I mean, if I take that advice, I'm going to delete half the shit on my phone and I don't know what I'm going to do with all this time. So uh, you're right. I've got a, I got a, I got a, I got a whoop on my finger that measure, measure on my wrist that measures my heart rate variability. I've got apps that I record my diet in. I've got like, you're right. I mean, if I put half that time into those, what, what did you call it? Soft, Soft what you call
1: drivers it? of health
0: soft drivers of health. God, that's going to be the name of this soft drivers of health. That is going to be the name of this episode. That was damn good. Well, you know, Marta, this was really great. I mean, I knew I was going to like this, but I, I really enjoyed this way more than I thought I was. It is, it was it's fascinating. Do you have any final uh, suggestions or an ask for the people that are listening?
1: You know, just to maybe use this time that we are having now. um, If you know, for some of us, it may mean having more time because we are slowing down. For others, you know, if you're a young parent homeschooling your child, you probably have less time than before. But um, but uh, you know, it is a special, different time, and different times and tough times actually often inspire people to change for the better. Actually, I I read another fascinating statistic today that actually the French people were much happier during the Second World War than they were ever after. And actually it's a very similar thing for the British people, which is very weird when you think about it, right? That in such difficult times, people actually were much more likely to find happiness than afterwards. So it's possible that challenge and tough times can make us appreciate things that matter more you know instead of looking for some kind of hedonic pleasures which generally actually don't bring you much either happiness or health we can look more for purpose in life you know for meaning for social for connection right and these are things that actually really give us both happiness and better health and i think it's actually a very good time now to to give a closer look to the way we are living
0: interesting so it's it's by uh, that study is really interesting about uh happiness after after the war um and i would suspect that it's it's as a result of the comparison from what they just came out of and where they are they're closer to you know knowing what a shit show life can really be and they're in gratitude that they're not living it but sometimes we take life a bit too too much for granted at least that's mm. how I'm seeing it and uh, you're right those those hedonic pleasures as great as they are uh, are fleeting um, and it, it doesn't it doesn't last very long so you my dear are doing great work and you are putting awesome stuff out into the world so thank you for uh, what time is it there in uh, France right now?
1: almost nine in the evening almost so, nine o'clock almost curfew it's I have eight it, minutes to run around on the street and it's not be caught by police so
0: <laughs> oh is that right are you guys still on lockdown?
1: No, we don't have lockdown. We have a curfew now. It's 9 p.m. We are not allowed to leave after 9 p.m. until 6 a.m. in the morning.
0: Is that because Corona likes to party out in the streets of, uh, uh, of uh, France? Young
1: people like to party, yeah, and they're spreading yeah. the virus. So that's, that's the supposed to, p- to prevent us from partying.
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to let you get to it because it is only a few minutes to noon here in Los Angeles. So I'm about to take my daughter pumpkin picking today. So awesome. uh, it'll be our first pumpkin picking with a mask. That's to be interesting so thank you so much for taking the time and i will send everything over to you uh, so that you can share this episode with uh, with your audience um and uh, we will link up uh, your book and your website and all that good stuff in the show notes so thank you again
1: thank you so much rob for having me over
0: all right thanks for listening if you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game